Welcome to another edition of the Royal Lions UK podcast, episode number 57, The Lion King. Thank you so much for joining us. If you're listening to us on the podcast or watching live, I'm here with my co-host Ryan. How you doing, man? Yeah, I'm good. Thanks, Matt. Uh, I'm, uh, I'm ready. The season feels like it's almost upon us now. The fixtures are out. We're not in London, unfortunately. We're not over here this year, but I'm okay with that. So I'm just looking forward to uh, breaking down the schedule and... Uh, free agents here we've got the workouts let's see who's ready to come to camp fit and healthy i mean they didn't give us a, a london game so the least they can do is give detroit the 2024 draft and i'll definitely have to come over for that so you know give with one but uh, take with one but give with the other um it's been a couple of weeks since, uh, since i've seen you man how's how's life yeah it's good yeah no i missed last week i was busy but no football season's ending but my football season playing starting so it's getting into the groove now, a few weeks to the first game. Kitted up, full contact started again, so literally bashing the cobwebs off. But no, it's good, yeah. I'm all ready. I think I saw on Twitter you said that you're transitioning from corner to safety and you're looking forward to it. I am, yeah. No, I'm looking to take on some uh, some bigger guys, a bit more tackling, a bit more stuck in, so I'll get, get in the middle of the action is, so I'm looking forward to it. Fantastic. Right, we're going to break down the news and then we're going to go through the, the schedule. We're going to do some wins and loss predictions. It's way too early, as we always hear. But, you know, we got to do it. And, I mean, who knows? We might be we might be really, really good at this. Probably not. But, you know, never mind. Right, let's, let's crack on with the news. And to start with, a bit of a, a shocker just after we finished recording last week. But the Lions are reportedly listening to trade offers for Tyrell Crosby uh, the favoured player of one of the absent Royal the Lions members who shall remain nameless, but if you uh, watch or listen to it regularly, you'll know who that is. Uh, that was per ESPN's Jeremy Fowler. There seems to be some fairly negative press across the board on this. All the major organisations that Lions facing seem to downplay it as a good idea, but not necessarily that they're not going to do it. What, what's your take on that, Ryan? It's a terrible decision. Like even if you're able to get back what we spent on him in the draft, or even a few picks higher, when you look behind him, it takes one lineman to go down with an injury, Crosby not to be here, and then we're relying on someone like Vatai, Matt Nelson, Logan Stenberg, or even Drake Jackson, and that sends shivers down my spine. If we don't have a guy that can plug in as a swing tackle, like even if it's to like spend on a future pick that works out, you, you need depth. We've finally got depth at the O-line, and now suddenly they're considering throwing it away. So that's a very questionable move. I don't I don't understand what it gains you trading him away that you can't get in another way. So it depends what happens, right? It depends if they really go for it next season. We've got a lot of uh, cap space going to go into the 2022 season after this one coming is over. So potentially we might be spenders in free agency. And so it's questionable as to whether he'll bring back a comp pick because obviously if we're big spenders, 
he'll just cancel someone out if he goes for, say, starter money. We might actually not get anything for him in return. However, that might not be the way it goes down. If you have a look at what Indy did to accumulate so much cap space, they had cap space, and they actually didn't spend it for a season, let it roll over, and then they had the absolute earth to spend this year. So it could be that he does generate a third in a comp pick because someone goes mad on a Vitae-like contract for him. You know, it's all a bit up in the air. So you could get something back for him that way. But, I mean, I if, if I had to let him go, it'd have to be a second or something like that, which is never happening. But if someone says, you can have a third round pick, I'm like, well, what am I going to do with that? Okay, maybe that's a low-end starter. But that's what Crosby is right now. And if he goes, I mean, he is the perfect backup for the O-line. He has starter reps last season through the majority of the season. You can't give that away in a season where the O-line is meant to be our strength. I totally agree. Like, uh, If you get a third for him, all you're doing is using that third on a gamble, which probably, well, high odds say it won't pay out. And like you say, we've just brought in his, like, well, a teammate he knows very well. Like, he has a great relationship with Pene Sewell, both Oregon boys. He would probably be devastated to see him traded away pending his arrival. But, yeah, I, it, like I say, if, if at any point we do lose a starter and then we're scrambling to fill it, someone's going to turn around and say, well, you got rid of Tyrell Crosby. He would have just fit straight in. He could put him in a guard if needs be our tackle. He's just that kind of guy that is going to take the snaps and he will do his best wherever he's asked to play. Yeah, so we've got Dan in the chat and he's just said, you know, the, the Pride of Detroit had a poll, had over 1,200 responses. I think I was the 1,200th response. No, I was the 1,199th response and it was 600 to 599. So the fans are dead split down the middle. Uh, he said a swing tackle is a luxury for a rubbish offensive line. If you're competing, then a, a quality string, uh, swing tackle is great. But at the end of the day, if you're not going to be competing this year, and if you can get some compensation back for him, and you're just saying, right, we're not, we're not resigning ourselves to being rubbish, but if he's not going to start, maybe get something back for him for 2022, that that's the best way to go. I can kind of get behind that idea. It's it's not the way I'd play it, but I could understand it if they came out with that view. Yeah, if we're planning on spending next month, uh, next season or after this season and then affecting the potential compensatory picks, then you might as well trade him. Like I said, you might as well get something if you're going to later cut your nose to spite your face and possibly lose it anyway by spending. So like I said, if we're not competing this year, we're probably they're going to want to be competing next year. So if they keep him around, that's the plan of the luxury next year. But it's it's interesting to see it's almost 50-50%. Yeah, I mean, I, I love the guy. Just his attitude, the way he celebrates his teammates, the, you know, the lifting up of players on the field, big, strong guy. Just he's always happy and smiling, even when we were losing last year. And, you know, sometimes you want to see the passion and the agony of defeat. But when the season was so lost last year, and he's still kept positivity. I just think he'd be a really good locker room guy as well. And I don't think you can understate in a year where maybe some of these one-year guys that we've got, they're going to work out, right? Some of them are not. But whether they work out or not, they will have the option to leave. So for the guys that don't work out, fine, they go. But for the guys that do, if you want to keep them around, you've got to give them a reason to. And one of the reasons might be, Good locker room presence. So keeping the locker room guys who are going to promote a good atmosphere is 
really important this season for our long-term future. I bet he's seen this. And if I was Tyrell Crosby, I actually wouldn't be too worried because I know actually from what I, the flashes they've seen in a league that still needs lots of offensive lines building up, he ain't going to struggle to find work. Like I say, he could get traded. If the Praskin price is, is low enough, he's going to get picked up very easily. But like you say, he might question the timing of it. But I think he won't be too worried. No, no, I wouldn't be worried if I was him. At the end of the day, if he gets traded, he's getting traded to someone who's probably going to start. So that's great for him in a contract year. He'll get some reps. He'll get paid. If he remains on the lines, it's because there wasn't a good enough offer for him or they value him as a backup. At the end of the day, he is the best backup, left tackle, left guard, right guard, right tackle we have. So he's going to see upwards of 50% of the reps because there's absolutely no way those guys stay healthy all the way through the season. It just doesn't happen. Nope. Like I say, right now, I'm not I'm not confident we even have a starting right guard because I really don't like the tie. Like I'm really willing to plug him in there and then. I, I, could, I could open him as a starter on day one if he wants to play guard there. Yeah, yeah, I feel you there. I would love to see him at right guard. And I think I mentioned this last week with Ant, but actually when he came out in the draft, he was projected as a right guard. He was a right tackle who was slightly undersized. They thought he might do better at guard. And we now know that he has taken practice reps at guard. Now, it may be that Vitae is the better right guard to start off, but who's to say that he doesn't beat him out in camp if he remains? The only problem is you can't move Vitae. Vitae on that contract can't get traded, even for a late-round pick swap. I don't think it's going to happen. I don't see any team seeing value in that. No, Vitae was a disaster. I absolutely hated that signing at the time. Even even on the lower contract, I just I just didn't like it. I just didn't. It just didn't fit. It don't really seem to fit. Yeah. And now we can't shift him. Can't shift him. But one more year of him, and we'll be done. And you never know if he's if he's injury free, he might play better. But I think it's telling. That you know, I loaded up Madden for the first time in months a couple of days ago. I thought oh, I'll start a franchise as Detroit, and you know, it's made just after we signed him to this absolutely blockbuster deal. What do you reckon his overall is at the start of Madden? We've just signed him to this massive deal, start some money for a right tackle. Seventy-one. Oh, you're very very close. Sixty-nine. I mean. It's- He's a bronze-level player. He's not even in that silver level. It's telling when Madden, and we all know they get their ratings wrong, they criminally underrated Matthew Stafford for years, but even they thought he was trash, and they don't know what they're talking about, but they did with him. He had a really bad year, but let's hope he bounces back. I'm gonna, If he stays on the team, and he's going to stay on the team, I'm going to back by tie 100%, because that's what we do through the season, and then we just trash him in between. <laughs> yeah, that's how it goes. All right. Moving on, the Lions have held their rookie minicamp. There was 32 players there, and that included five tryouts, and we've signed three of them. They are the nickelback Alex Brown. He played for Kansas City in their Super Bowl winning 2019 year. Three games, but only 33 snaps, and the majority of those were on special teams. The safety Elijah Holder. He played 10 games for the Broncos over two years, including eight in the most recent season. Again, though, mostly on special teams. Apparently, he also has versatility as an outside corner. And the tight end, Charlie Taumapiu. He's bounced around the practice squads last season with three different teams, but he actually ended up at San Francisco. He never made a regular roster. But it's 
I, I think it's heartening that these guys are coming in. We don't have to sign them, and yet Dan's seeing enough in them to actually say, you know what, we're going to give you a chance. Yeah, uh, I've noticed that, I've, I've seen on Twitter that they say this Elijah Holder fits the model of what we like because he's like six foot two plus. We like to have these big, long rangey safeties, like to have some strength, like say a bit of versatility. And it just shows as well, it's how well we pride on our special teams because we just pride special teams really high. Like we want good tacklers who can earn their role there. That's where you make your money in the NFL on special teams like Jalen Reeves, maybe who could start this year. You do your dirty time there, you pay your dues and hopefully these guys bounce around, eventually get picked up. So I'm, it's good to see what they've got. Like say this camp is a select few. So there'll be a lot of eyes on them. It's good if opportunity for them all. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's one of the things, actually, I'm going to come on to it later, but that Dan said in the presses is something that he absolutely prides in, uh, is, you know, that you start on special teams, and if you can't compete there, you're not long for this roster. And I think that goes for a lot of players. I mean, the guys who are starting and are not playing on special teams, that's a luxury that you've earned. And if your play suffers, you better be prepared to get out there on special teams too. So, you know, don't just because you're there now doesn't mean you're going to be starting all year. No, I agree. From playing special teams myself, what you look for on special teams is number one is discipline. How many people get flagged for pushing in the back, tripping, like you say, it, it's a core discipline. It's tackling, it's angles, like you say, and it's been able to get instructions. If you can't get those three basics, you won't play for the Lions, no matter how well an athlete you are. You have to have those core instincts. Definitely. Right, the rookie minicamp I mentioned had 32 different players. That's all of the draftees, apart from Penny Tool, who of course has COVID-19 and we hope he'll recover soon, doesn't have any symptoms and isn't affected going on. But we of course did see last year the effect that some players did have in having it and suffering with symptoms over a long period of time. So fingers crossed that that's not a factor for Penny. Um, it also included players who did not have an accrued season and what that means is that they haven't played enough snaps in the games that they actually played in order to have an accrued season for their NFL pension um, and those players on the team so they've been with us before or other teams before and have played but haven't got that accrued season are the long snapper Scott Daly, safety Jalen Elliott, offensive lineman Evan Heim, wide receiver Tom Kennedy, tight end Elise Mack, Defensive end Robert McRae, linebacker Anthony Pittman, and tight end Hunter Thedford. And a couple of names there that stand out to me. Jalen Elliott from last year obviously was injured for most of the season, but we picked him up as a UDFA, I think, in the 2020 yeah. class. Uh, Tom Kennedy has obviously been with us for a couple of years and actually got picked up as a tryout, I think it was in 2019, for the Lions, and has been promoted to an active roster for a game last year. And actually, Dan came out and said that he was very impressed with him in this. these tryouts too, so that was, that was great. And uh, I had another one in mind, Hunter Thedford, who's been bouncing around for a little while as well. So any names there that, that stand out to you, Ryan? The first one is, like you said, Tom Kennedy. We've actually, he's been around the Lions, I think, like say, for a good two, three years now. We've seen snaps of him. If I remember rightly off memory, he looks a bit like Cole Beasley. He's really short in stature. He's kind of a slot guy, a clutch guy, a bit like an Amendola. He, like you say, he did get activated and finally made a game day roster last year. So that will give him lots of confidence going into this season that hopefully he can see some action. 
And Elise Mack, if I remember rightly, he was at the Colts before this. And I'm sure they praised him quite highly as a, as a mobile shift tight end that could work in the passing game. So I'd say we've got a good crop of potential tight ends that we signed it undrafted and in this minicamp. Yeah, yeah, I completely agree. Um, there's a couple of guys I actually really like that I've got. I think I mentioned in our roster episode that there's the the tight end who was barely used from Notre Dame, who's supremely athletic. I think it was the number two tight end in the nation coming out of high school. His name has escaped me for whatever reason, which is really, really frustrating. Uh, Houseman, I think it is. Houseman. Oh, Josh, 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 something like that. Josh Houseman, I think, yeah. Yeah, yeah. so he's one I'm still really looking at. Uh, there was a couple of people who were praised specifically coming out of camp, and I think one of them was Adams Jr., who oh, you, yeah. you really like. I do, yeah. He is, he is, an, he's a bully. I've seen his, I've watched his highlights, I've seen his game, like, hit the catch point radius, he out muscles people, he's 6'2", he's strong, and in the red zone, he's, you're going to play him like a tight end, like, he boxes people out well, he's athletic, and in his career, I think he got almost 17 touchdowns in his last two years at Arkansas State, so he is someone that gets targeted quite a lot. I think him and Sage Surratt are fighting for one spot on the roster, one of them's going to make it, and I think one of them's going to evolve into a really good wide receiver. Who would you give the early nod to? Who's your preference? Adams, because Sage Surratt, unfortunately, is criminally slow. He gets little to no separation, and that's why he went undrafted, I think. He did not work out very well, but he's a good clutch and possession receiver. But right now, we've had those, and it's not always panned out, so we need someone a little bit stronger and a bit more athletic. All right. Uh, following and during, actually, the, the rookie minicamp, there were some media sessions. So Dan Campbell spoke to the press alongside all of the draft picks that we had. And I just had a watch and picked out a few choice comments that I thought were interesting. Uh, so Dan Campbell first up says, the players that turned up did themselves a favour, which I think is very telling because there are some people on the roster who do not have an accrued season and they did not turn up. And one of them is my guy, Bobby Price, safety. I do think that some of those players who are borderline for the roster, and I think Bobby Price has had himself firmly inside the 53 because of how weak our safety room is recently. And the fact that he saw several games last season is trying his best to fight his way out of the roster at the moment. Yeah, like you say, I think that is definitely, that is, that's the definition of shooting yourself in the foot. If you had the opportunity to come to this camp after what happened last year with no camp, you've got a brand new regime of coaches who want to get a good look at you and want to meet you firsthand and you choose not to take that option, that is not going to be looked on favourably. Like I say, it's a deep safety class we've got. Like I say, we had those two and Elliot last year in the practice squad that did manage to get their fair share of like special team snaps. They are going to be firmly on the roster bubble from now until making the 53. And it's not doing yourselves any favours, like say. It's like turning up, not turning up for work when it's voluntary. Like that, that's how it is. Like you don't have to be there, but what do you gain from not going? Yeah, yeah, not smart. So let's see what comes of that. But I'm not hopeful for my guy. Um, 
He also said, Dan, that players aren't going to be making the roster just based on this mini camp, but they could lose their spot. So they're not wanting to see any guys. I think Dan's referred to them in the past as turds, um, guys who are endangering other people because they're not taking it seriously or their technique's too poor. They're not coachable. You know, they're really trying to find out what they've got in these guys. Are they going to be consistent players? Are they going to show up on every rep? Or are they just going to flash on the odd one but actually play pretty consistently poorly? No, I understand that. Like you say, everyone was on about the, the alphas, the betas, the turds, all the terminology you use. But when you have to look at, look at British football, you can't win a game in the first half, but you can lose it. And that's the first analogy you're using here. Like you say, you're not going to lose your roster spot based on it, but you could certainly damage it. Because what he wants to know is, why did you go undrafted? Did you not show enough consistency? Are you too flash in the pan? Are you too difficult to work with? Are you a diva? And the only way you can work that out is spending good solid time with young men and seeing what they can do in an environment where it's a whole step up, who can learn quickly and who is able to uh, stand up in a locker room that's full of men. These are just young men. These are just kids. Like I said, they're trying to prove themselves worthy of making a roster just for a year. I think that gets forgotten at times, actually. It's an interesting point. They are boys, the majority of them, even the ones that are 24, you know, red shirt seniors. They'd have spent time just amongst college guys. And I don't care what age you are. If you're in college, having got there, you know, 18, 19 years old, until you start spending time in a work environment with people who are getting paid, and, you know, their livelihood depends on it. They've got families to take care of. You don't grow up as a man. And these guys are thrust into this environment. It must be hard for them to make that transition alongside trying to prove their worth on the sporting field. No, I totally agree. Like, I don't mean this by any disrespect, but a lot of these kids have had stuff handed to them on a plate. They've managed to get a scholarship and had their ride through college paid for because they were able to show flashes and potential on the football field. All they had to do was keep that up and back it up with good grades. But now they're going into the working world where it's earned, it's not given. Like you, this, That's not how it's going to be here. Like You have to show that you're worthy of getting that contract, just making that signing bonus. It's going to be a huge step up, like say going from boys to men, essentially. Yeah. Uh, last bit on Dan's presser, he said that there's lots of competition between the offensive and defensive coaches and a lot of trash talk between especially Aaron Glenn and Anthony Lynn. And he said that was promoting a kind of good competitive spirit and environment where they're really trying to, you know, one up each other in a in a safe way, but that, you know, they're determined that their guys are gonna come out on top and as long as that doesn't result in any injuries, I'm happy that, you know, that's gonna bring out the best in these guys. Oh no, I completely agree. That's what you want. You want every scrimmage, offensive, defensive. The offense wants to win, the defense wants to win. And that's not just per drive, that's per player whether you get a stoppage or you make a first down, there's going to be a lot of fights, I think, in this camp between players. But for me, that's a good thing as long as you keep it in control. If two coaches are hyping up the offensive and defensive line, there's going to be loads of scraps. But all that does is iron sharpens iron. It breeds competition. And eventually, when you take out on another team, like you say, it's going to show. I can't wait for that. I hope next year, I really hope we can be on all, all or nothing 
or be on a TV show because I think the Lions would be fantastic to watch behind the scenes. I think so too. I really, really agree with that. Right. The next guy up was Jamar Jefferson. Uh, there wasn't a huge amount, I think, that came out of that one. There was a lot of talk about the fact that he had a huge chip on his shoulder when he was interviewed just after being drafted, and he was very obviously pissed off. Um, no, I, I didn't find that particularly interesting. He kind of just said, you know, yeah, I was pissed off. I did expect to go earlier, but I'm here now, and I'm here to work, and, you know, whatever. But he was asked what he learned, and he said that Deuce Staley's a really fun guy. And, you know, it could just be a really boring camp about learning the playbook and grinding all this stuff. But actually, that Deuce is a fun guy and he's not made it boring. Are kind of intermixing the kind of grinding stuff with, with having fun out there. And it's meant that the guys are all a lot more energized than he's seen in the past, which is really interesting. And in terms of specifically what he learned technically, he said he learned a lot more about pass protection and reads. And knowing what we heard from the guys about carry on Johnson and about the blocking ability that he had we know that that's a prized aspect from the running back group so it's good to hear that that's a a point of emphasis early yeah I agree a lot of running backs in college are not asked to block they don't have to do pass protection like say normally you'll put in a hitch back like that a, a, a full back but you primarily right a running back is just going to take snaps. So they're going to have to learn to be a bit more smart. They're going to have to learn to make their reads, pick up a block or a blitzer, which is something they're not always looking out for. They're going to have to look at a defense and see if someone's coming or not. So I'm glad Juice Staley is integrating that into like say one of you is going to have to do the dirty work like Carry on Johnson did. And in his career, like his final season. He made a living off, basically, trying to keep Stafford upright when they sent an extra blitzer, and he did a damn good job at it. And that's probably how he got by in the last two years, intermittent running and great blocking. And with the other thing, like say, if he's making it fun, well, if you look in a normal day job, who are the more productive staff? People that enjoy their job. If you don't enjoy your job and it's not fun, usually you lose concentration and you don't take it seriously. So Juice Staley sounds like a great guy. And the Eagles, where he came from, they had a good running back room. And they've been notorious for years of having a strong, solid running back core. And that starts with good relationships with their coaches. So I think we've brought in some real characters this year. And they're gelling quite well. And people want to be in this running back room. So I can't wait to see what they're going to be able to produce behind this line. Yeah, yeah, I completely agree. Um, I think that's going to be Jamal's route to the roster as well really because even though he was you know vaunted to come up higher in the draft maybe a fourth or fifth round pick that doesn't mean that there aren't fourth or fifth round picks that don't get cut in camp we know that from last year with Jason Huntley so you know this guy is still going to have to really work for his job and he's not going to find himself the running back one or two. He's just not. So his job isn't going to be justified by how good of a running back he is. He's going to have to really, really work for this and get good at the blocking because he might be a third down guy if he gets on the field at all. Yep, like you say, he might have to, like you say, the gauntlet of special teams, he might have to get in that cauldron too. He might have to step in as a returner on some players. He might have to be a blocker in the gate on a punt return, just pick up a block. Like I say, he will have to see the field on special teams to get anywhere other than higher than running back three. And hopefully he knows that. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure he does. 
All right, moving on. The next guy up was Derek Barnes. Um, and he was one of the more interesting ones of all of them, I think. Super switched on guy. Uh, really charismatic. Engaging to just listen to. He he has something upstairs that I, I really, really like. So that, that was cool. Uh, he highlighted the fact that gaining chemistry with his head coach was one of the most important things that he was doing out there, making sure to ask lots of questions to make sure that he was getting his study right and that sort of thing, you know. So I don't know whether Dan's going to get annoyed with him if he's constantly in his ear going, what do we do now, coach? But <laughs> it's good to hear that he's not shy uh, from talking to Dan because I imagine he's probably a pretty imposing figure on the field, being so brash and, you know, energised that perhaps some of the more timid members of the team might shy away from that but Barnes certainly isn't one of them yeah I can imagine when you look at Dan Campbell on the sideline he's probably looks sometimes he's probably frowning he can probably be a bit grumpy and like I say it could be pretty intimidating so those players that do have questions they're going to have to be willing to get up stand up in the huddle question him like I say ask what am I doing here where do you want me to be even if he thinks he's going to be annoying him it's better to ask and get it right than not asking get it wrong like that his IQ is probably the reason he was drafted so high he's got something upstairs which will instantly elevate his somewhat slender frame that people say he's a bit undersized but if he knows how to use his size and he knows where he should be at the correct time then that won't matter because he's asked the questions and he's got the answers and he's then not afraid of anyone confronting anyone that, that that's great to hear yeah, he was asked about his number because Dan drew specific reference to it, number 55. He said it was, you know, a, a baller number, a throwback number for an interior linebacker, inside linebacker. And he came back and just said, it was my college number. So I took it. I didn't really realize too much it was a thing until Dan said it. So I don't know. I just picked that out as, as something quite amusing, interesting. Um, he also said that being a linebacker is being physical first. So I think you're going to see him go in for the hit a lot. He's a, clearly a, a fast guy, a guy who always seems to be in the right place with, with a really great timing. I'm not sure that you can really teach what he has already. No, I don't think so. From what you watch from the film is he is someone that has an idea of what's going on before the ball is snapped. He knows hopefully what hole he's going to meet the running back in. He hopefully, like you say, he is able to get there and disturb the player. If he's able to get in that backfield and get the quarterback scrambling, he knows he's going to win one-on-one -on -one in a race and hopefully be able to drag them down for a loss. So like He has got that, that fast twitch. He's able to adjust quickly, side to side, make a decision what he's doing before the player. And like I say, he hits really hard. For a guy that's only just above six foot, like he has got great technique. He knows exactly to put the head on the right side and his shoulder leads with the first leg. So he makes good contact. He stands them up. That's the thing. A smaller guy has to be able to stand up and running back when he needs reinforcement. And if he can make that first jarring contact and just slow them down, he knows that he's going to get help. He will never overcommit. His angles are always great. I've seen him tackle, running side to side. He doesn't overshoot or undershoot. He looks really solid foundation physical linebacker I think he will probably be a starter pretty quickly once he makes his name on special teams 
but he's not resting on his laurels. The last thing I picked out is that he said that his first aim was just to make the team. He's not relying on the fact that he's going to, and I think that's a really good and humble position to be in. And he said he's happy to contribute in any way the team needs. So I know that that Dan came out in an earlier presser and said he's going to be a Mike linebacker. But obviously he has played at the edge position and the, the Leo role, and he is happy just to be anywhere he needs to be. And I, I guess that that is kind of referring to what Dan said before about contributing on special teams too. Yep, he will do as he's told. He'll play where he's told. They'll find the best role for him. And as you say, he's happy to just make the team. He knows going in the third round means nothing. Whereas Amon Rasen Brown said, I'm here to take someone's starting job. He's assuming, uh, he's got supreme confidence. He's assuming he's instantly making the team. Like them two are going to tell a polar opposites. I love the confidence in one, but I like the humbleness of the other, knowing that no one is safe just because you're taken before pick 100. That doesn't mean anything. You still have to earn every down and just make the team. All right, going to move on to the next guy up, who was Aline McNeil. Uh, he was asked, actually, this went back and forth. So he was asked about Levi. Um, and then Levi, when we go on to him, was asked about Alim uh, from the same guy. So comments about uh, Levi. Uh, Alim said he's a clown and a fun guy and can't wait to tear up together. So I thought that was pretty cool. He was asked about the Eagles draft video. Had he seen it? And what did he think about it? And he said he'd seen the video, but he didn't think that the reaction was anything to do with him. He didn't believe the hype. And that in the end, he doesn't really care. and He's glad to be here. So, you know, someone who is man enough to actually say that he saw the video, I can imagine in sports that someone's just going to whisper in his ear, I'll say he didn't see it for an easy life. You can, oh, no, I didn't see it. You hear it in football all the time, right? A manager, offside decision. Oh, no, I didn't see it. But. He came out and said, yeah, I saw it and I don't believe it, which is fair. And I'm just glad that he's glad to be here. He looks like an absolute beast in person. You see him on the camera. He's just like, oh, my God, <laughs> what an animal. Yeah, he's a unit, like you say. And like you say, he just basically summed up why he's here. He said, I've seen it. I don't care. I'm not a Philadelphia Eagle. I'm a Detroit Lion. So ask me about the Lions. He's saying, like, I don't care about what other teams are doing their reaction to missing out on me. I'm going to prove to them why they didn't, they missed out on me and hopefully they're going to see it for themselves. Like I just, I like people that address things and don't shirk away from it. That, that shows to me, he's got maturity above his years already. Yeah. Yeah. I, I felt that when I was watching him, that he's, he feels like he's there to work and he's ready to go and do it. The last bit I picked out with Alim, it wasn't an especially enlightening interview, even though he was a fairly entertaining guy. Um, he was asked why, he wanted a lower number than he took because I think he had, I think he's taken 54. He wanted 29, didn't he? He wanted 29. And he was asked why. And he said, low numbers make me feel like a skilled position player again. So he's got a real hankering, I think, for wanting to play linebacker or running back still, but he knows he he's wants, not doing yeah. it anymore. He wants to go back to running back like high school. I would love to see him in a shot, like a fourth, a third and one at the goal line. I would love to see him play running back. And I think he could easily power his way in. That would be fantastic. He's the next guy that's going to get an NFL Instagram post of big man touchdown. I can just see it happening. <laughs> I mean, I could see him taking snaps under center in that position, kind of like um, the Colts quarterback who came in for those short yard situations. Um, 
Oh man, on a quite a bit. He was on the highest amount of a, a backup quarterback in the league, and he was the starter before. Oh. Jacoby Brissett? Yeah, Jacoby Brissett. Yeah, so he came in on like the goal line situations to power it over because Rivers just. You want to protect the old guy. Yeah. I can I can see Alim doing that. I don't know whether he's ever taken snaps before, but just a little sneak from half a yard yeah. out. Wildcat. Like I said, I can see him get mixing it up. That'd be fun to watch. It'd be very fun to watch. Right, on to Levi, who was interrupting Alim, just kind of standing next to him and trying to put him off. So that was quite funny. When he said he was a clown, he was absolutely right. But when he was in front of the camera, he became dead serious, actually. Um, you know, jokes in there, but like kind of he wasn't on camera and he was a joker and he was and he, he switched. So that was interesting to see if he can turn it on when he needs to. Um, he said he loves Alim McNeil, uh, Levi Onzorike. Uh, he thinks they're going to wreck shop and do some damage together. I really love his um, vernacular, the, the words he chooses to use. You know, there was the effing and blinding to start with in the first presser, but now it's about wrecking things and tearing it up. And I just, he just gets me excited. No, I, I like him. You can just tell Levi was the kind of kid that got sent out of class. And he'd stand behind the door and he'd look through the glass and he'd be trying to pull funny faces. He'd be trying to get other people joking and laughing. But then instantly, like say when it matters an exam, he's the most serious guy in the room. He knows when and not when and when not to crack wise. And like say, he will know not to get on the bad side of Dan Campbell. He isn't going to cross him. He will be serious. He won't be making jokes when they're watching film. And interior defensive line like McNeil, like, those two need to be best friends. They have to be on the same page because there's potential, like you say, you're going to be crossing them over. You might stunt them. They're going to have to be on like a wavelength where if they want to wreck shop, then they're going to have to work together to do that. If they're potentially going to get double teamed, like I'm hoping those two are going to be best friends. Like, and I hope Michael Brockers is just going to be like the big dad figure. He's going to take an arm around both of them, bash their heads together if needs be. But like I say, I think those two are great to learn off who we've really got now. Like there's going to be some father roles that are just going to take them under their wing. So that should be really good to see. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I, I think that Penasini is someone who who's going to help because even though he's a young guy himself, he took a lot of starter reps at that nose tackle position. And, you know, while he doesn't want to train someone to take his job, I imagine John knows that he's probably not the front runner for this right now. And as someone who was new to the team last year can help those guys acclimatise in a similar position. So I'm looking to him, and, and that might be a way for him. I, I think that Penasini is easily going to make that roster anyway as the backup yeah. knows, so I hope so. Um, Levi, uh, talking about the other things he said, uh, obviously he opted out last year, so he was asked about whether he was a bit rusty coming into camp, whether it you know came back quickly. Uh, and he said that he knocked off a little rust for sure but that it was hard being against coaches playing offensive tackle uh, and that it was basically a walkthrough where, you know, they weren't getting too many opportunities to get wins on the board, you know, one-on-one. So I think there's a bit of room to knock off a bit more rust there. I mean, obviously, because it was only three days, but it's not surprising, but you'd like to see that rust knocked off sooner rather than later. Yeah, anyone that opted out that says they didn't come into camp roster is lying. And I know that for sure because I'm knocking off Russ now. It don't matter how fit you work out. You can be doing weights. You can be running ladders. 
cones, drills for a whole year. There's nothing like contact. That's what shakes the rust off. And like I say, he was never going to be able to go through walkthroughs and get pick up cheap wins on coaches in like positional drills, like until it gets down to it and he gets someone that he's able to beat, he's going to still have some rust to shake off. Yeah, I, I'm totally fine with that. Like I say, all we need from people that like come into camp is they're healthy and they're not too heavy. As long as like they're at a good weight to start camp, that's fine by me. That's what we need to see. Yeah, they need to be at their playing weight or near to it because the concepts they're learning, the experience they're getting, the muscle memory is going to be different if their weight's changing. So that's the only requirement coming into camp for me is that, you know, you've, you've t- if you're a vet or you're a rookie who's spent a year or here already, you've remembered some of what happened last year and you're at your playing weight. And you're a professional athlete. Do your job. Um uh, okay, so that was Levi Onzarike moving on to... Oh, no, sorry, one more comment. Uh, he was asked about the coach, and he said he loves Dan Campbell. Fun dude, but intense. Uh, impressed with the person he is, thinks he's going to bring the, the group all together. So that's reassuring. I think we all knew that anyway, but it's good to hear one of the rookies say it. Yeah, like you say, the rookies are the ones that are going to give the true reflection of what a coach is like, because they're coming in fresh, all they know of Dan Campbell from before this camp was what they've seen really on TV and presses, and they will have known he's an intense guy. They're now learning how serious he can be and how how caring he can be. Because like I say, you have to look after rookies. Like these are just now leaving home. A lot of these are moving across country. Like he's going to have to now like show a different side to them that we'll probably never see. Yeah, yeah, definitely. All right, uh, so. Ify Melifonwu, um, he was asked about technique, things that he was learning differently to things that were happening in college. And he highlighted the slightly different technique in press man coverage versus college and that he was still adjusting, but that it's all about leverage. And he's just trying to learn from Aubrey Pleasant and Aaron Glenn. And actually, this that leads quite nicely into the piece on the athletic that Aaron Glenn has. So... The guys, uh, Lynn and Glenn, spent a good amount of time with the guys at Athletic. And if you haven't read that, I strongly urge you to do so. And if you don't have a sub, DM me and I'm sure I can sort something out. But talking about learning the the route tree for your receivers. um, I don't know if you've seen that piece, Ryan, or not. I've not, no. But I've got a general understanding of Lightsayer. I could could understand Lightsayer. I understand like. He's going to see different things in the pros. He's going to have to learn different routes. He's yeah. going to have to learn to not be too handsy. We know about that. He's going to have to take a much different approach to playing press man from a team that is over the years we have wanted to play man, but we've just not had the personnel. So now, like I say, it's getting people in that fit around that. And we're bringing in a new scheme. We know what we get from Saints. We've seen their corners, like they're physical. They want to be good at line of scrimmage. They want to jam. So if you want to get here, you're going to have to learn to be able to take on board what Aubrey Pleasant is telling you. And I think he is going to work wonders likes of Mele Bonwell and especially Akuda. I'm yeah. hoping it's going to be a big second year jump under him. Yeah, so the piece actually specifically referred to Akuda because Jeff came out and said, you know, I've learned a lot from these guys. I wish I knew it last year, which is just hilarious. Um, but one thing that really stuck out to me was Glenn was talking about the difference between um, press man and standing off and how if you stand off, 
that that opens the route tree up completely. You actually don't really know what they're going to do. So you're having to do a lot more guessing. And part of what Glenn was trying to do was simplify the playbook, make sure that there's less thinking and more reacting and being proactive in what's happening. And so if you play press man, there's only actually three routes that can be run from that position. For example, he said, you're not going to get someone running an out route facing press man. So it's all about the release. How's the guy releasing? You know what he's doing 99% of the time already. And just making sure that Okuda is in press man, that he's having a look at the release in more detail than he's done before, so that he knows what's coming and can just go and do it. And I think that's going to translate to Iffy too. So learning about the leverage, learning about what it means to be in press man or standing off. So I don't know, I've never really thought about it in that way before because I've never looked into it that strongly. Obviously, I've not played the game, but it's not something that's obvious to someone who just watches the game like we do if you don't play it. And as a cornerback, I'm sure that this resonates with you. Yeah, I, tot- I can completely understand. Playing press and then playing off is totally different. If you're giving a few yards buffer, you're suddenly having to look at a player's hips. A wide receiver, his hips will tell you what he's doing. If he's breaking in, he's breaking out, he's going to make a double move. But if you're at the line, you're taking away his ability to make a double move on you. He has to make a decision there and then. He either has to, like, say, go on a, like, say, hit you on a slant, which you can just blank him and mirror him there. If you give him any more room, you take away your amount of leverage and you're opening up the whole field. He can fly past you, go deep. He can, like, say, he can come in, show back out, hit you on a wheel route. He will turn you around. The more leverage you give him, the more likely he is he's going to flip your hips and turn the heels. And that is that is the worst nightmare for a corner. The worst that can happen at the uh, line of scrimmage is you get beaten, like you say, but at least you've got chance to lay hands on them. So that's what they're going to have to learn. Like college is all well and good playing corner, but you can sit off. You can be a little bit lazy because you know, like the rules are a bit different. There's a bit more leeway, but the NFL, you're not going to get that. You will give away a flag a hundred times quicker if you're not prepared, if you're not totally zoned in. So corner, that's why everyone says it's the hardest transition until like year three you don't see the best of a corner if they're going to make it. So right now we have brought in a coach that managed to turn around and do that with Marshall Latimer. That's what we now need to see him do with Akuda Melifonglu and Amani. So this is going to be a big learning curve, but I think they've got the right kind of guy to do it with them. Yeah, and they've got to learn off Dunbar as well, who's been there and done that, who made the transition from wide receiver in his rookie year, which was also referred to in the piece, and that he's still learning, but He's learning and may manage to come second in the league at the cornerback position in 2019 per PFF. So, you know, someone who's made that transition very, very well. Um, moving on with, with more notes from Iffy's, he said that he's trying to make his footwork more muscle memory, but it isn't quite there just yet. Um, and that his size gives him a natural advantage but it needs to be used in the right way just because you've got the tools doesn't mean you know how to use them. And he needs to learn from the coaches as much as possible, which um, is a fairly neutral thing to say, I guess, but it's good to hear it. You know, just because something's obvious doesn't mean that the guy actually knows it unless he says it. So 
well-grounded iffy. He wasn't a particularly entertaining guy, as quite a matter of fact. Um, cracked a smile every now and again, but not really. So I don't think we should expect him to do too much of the talking, literally. But on the field, I think he's someone who can make a big impact. Yeah, like you say, when you get a corner or a safety, a lot of them are blessed with God-given natural physical, like you say, like him, nearly 6'2". He's got long arms. He's got a nice stride for his back pedal. So he's able to uh, break quickly, move cover ground quickly. If you don't know what to do with that, it's useless, isn't it? Like I say, it's, it's no good to anyone. So he's still learning how to use his body. And it's a coach's job to tell you this is how you use your frame. So I'm fine that he's serious. Like I say, he isn't going to be the joker in the pack of the secondary. But that's okay because we don't need him to. He's got, like I say, Dunbar. I'm hoping he's going to be the guy that, everyone can look up to i'm hoping he's going to be like the, the the father figure of the secondary so i think we've got a really good group of corners they're all massive we have just got big corners we've got guys that are all of like six one there's like no one barely under six foot so we've got the physical tools it's just it's extracting it out of them it's just technique and i think yeah. that's something that you can learn yeah yeah i agree Right, that's the end of Iffies, and the final guy up was Amon Rasen Brown, who you obviously alluded to earlier as, as a, to his confidence. Um, he said that he met up with some of the skill position guys in Southern California, went to dinner with Goff and those guys before he went to camp. So I think camp was on the Wednesday, Thursday, something like that, and he was having dinner with them on the Tuesday. Um, he was asked about where the mentality of taking someone's job came from and he said that it was growing up with his well-known other brothers so you know there was always competition in pretty much everything he was doing in life if he wanted to eat as much as he could at the table if he wanted to you know beat those guys in like little scrimmages they do at home practices uh competition to get the grades the highest they could at school you know practically everything there was extra competitive and had to be to win and that it wasn't that he was assuming perhaps that he was going to win that job but that he was bringing the mentality that it was him versus everyone else in his position which it is like I think he was only spouting the facts of the matter having said that I think you're right I do think he expects to make it I think he has got that he's got a chip on his shoulder coming from a let's say being a Cali boy coming from like USC he, they have got a big pedigree. He knows he's got a lot to live up to. He's expecting to come in and he probably looks at this wide receiver car and thinks it's weak. I think he has that mentality that he's going to come in and ultimately take you up a next step. It's a bit, yeah, he's got a bit of arrogance, but I also agree. Like If you're an only child, you couldn't understand what sibling rivalry is like. He is coming in, he's taking that into the locker room with him. Like I say, his siblings are in the league, so that's even more power for him. Like I say, he's got even more to prove when he lines up against him, when he's going to play against him. Like he is going to look at every other wide receiver on the roster as just another brother that he's got to beat. And that means he is going to probably talk smack. He is going to treat people like his brother. I think he'll get on very well with the group. It might upset them at times, but I think ultimately he is primed to succeed in a car of wide receivers that have got a lot of question marks about it. I think this is the perfect kind of guy that's going to come in. I think someone that's going to push them to prove that they're the veteran, he's going to be like, well, I'm coming in here and I'm going to be like, I'm going to be the big dog. 
Mm. You're all going to be like these small fries. And as long as he doesn't push it, he will get put in line pretty quickly. But I think he will be ultimately, he could put up some big numbers, like say even starting in the slot, he's got a lot of tools to succeed. Talking about the slot, for me, the, the guys that are playing there is Khalif Raymond, Tom Kennedy, Quintus Cephas. Are they really any competition for him? I mean, Quintez, I guess, as a vet, is kind of the guy you would put in at number one just because he's the vet who, who maybe took the most snaps last season in that position. But he didn't have very many, and he did okay. But I would be probably saying Alan Ra is the favourite right now to start at slot, and I don't think it's close. I think that's fair, yeah. When you look at Cephas last year, he didn't have much competition. We had Amandola, who was like always trying to like just stay healthy to make it to the season. We got rid of Marvin Hall, so there was really not much to work with inside. So Cephas really had that role all on his own. But right now, like you say, he has got some big-time trouble. He's going to have to compete with St. Brown, and he is probably penciled in right now as a starter. But by the time pre-season comes, that could very well change, and he could be the backup. Yeah. All right. Um... So he said he knew the names of all 15 receivers by heart taken before him in the draft, which, I mean, that struck me as just an insane thing to say. I mean, I can't imagine Tom Brady knows off by heart the name of every quarterback taken before him. I know there's probably a few more rounds and a few more players, but that's a chip on a shoulder too big for me. Like, don't worry about that. Okay, you fell and have a chip on your shoulder for the fact that you fell, but... It's not these guys' fault. <laughs> that no, that goes back them. to the Jefferson thing. There's a list of like generic NFL quotes I look for each year, and that's one of them. Oh, you're going to regret not taking me. I know everyone that was taken before me. You're all going to learn why you didn't take me. Like You could literally publish a book of these. So he's just taken that out of a manual that he probably heard last year. Like He doesn't know all the names unless he wrote them down, but he shouldn't be worrying about them. No. Like why would you even spend a second thinking about who was taken before you? Because they're not the guys you have to beat. Like none of them are on the roster. So what's it matter? No, I mean, that's the Aaron Rodgers quote, isn't it? They're going to regret it. San Francisco yeah. will re- rue the day. Um, oh, man, maybe they're not. Um, he said the biggest thing, Aaron Ra said the biggest thing so far is, is learning the playbook and that Goff in the workouts, the run-throughs, the little throws around that they have look really awesome. That he's a really smart guy and he's looking forward to working with him. Um, which, you know, if, if you don't say that, then you're stupid. So at least he's not that kind of has to say it. But I do get the feeling that Goff is going to come in and be this humble guy, smart guy. He's not going to be too flashy. Nice to hear that there's some good chemistry already brewing there. It, I really get upset when people just keep crapping on Goff. Like, I've seen the stats for the last few years. When he is kept in what's called a clean pocket, he has an average PFF grade of like, it's like 130. He's like the top five quarterback in the league when he's kept upright in yards, touchdowns and passing attempts for like the last three or four years. He's a great quarterback. Like I see people bumping him down a tier, bumping Stafford up a tier just because they've swapped teams, but it's just pettiness. People don't want to accept he could be the future. And we need to just get behind him. People need to stop trying to bring him down. He's a good quarterback. He does make mistakes. He makes a lot of mistakes. But so did Matthew Stafford. Stafford made so many mistakes and cost us so many games. 
But all we did was kept backing him up. Why can't anyone just do this to Goff before he's even arrived? Yeah, I, I think the thing is that Goff is strong perhaps where Stafford isn't and vice versa. So I think a lot of Stafford's errors came in a clean pocket and actually in some sort of perverse way, a little bit of pressure kind of suited Stafford, who was fairly good on the run, on the move, throwing a nice ball at that time, whereas Goff is the polar opposite, don't have him under pressure. So if our O-line can be as good as we think it could be, then this might be the perfect offense for him. So I, I do think that people were poo-pooing him far too early. So let's wait and see on that point. A um, couple of other news bits to go through now after we've talked about that. Uh, Dan Campbell's been on the Pardon My Take podcast, and he jokes that he'd like a pet lion to run around with at the team facility. Um, go and listen to it, because Dan comes across so well. Uh, there were more quotes that I wanted to put in, but I listened to it just before coming on. But just smiling the whole way through, he's got a terrific way that he carries himself. Although I'm not actually sure that we should be replacing our mascot for a real-life thing in, in Ford Field. What about you, Ryan? Uh, no, they do that in college. I'm pretty sure I know the University of Georgia have got a bulldog that's about 100 years old and he's on his last legs. So I don't think we should be getting Rory and replacing the real tiger. Like I say, there's already been calls from, uh, from Peter. Like I say, stop this before it even happens. But... What I love about Dan Campbell is he says things with a pinch of salt that he knows will get the backup of everyone else that's not a Lions fan. We know he's not to take him too seriously, but he gives everyone what they want. Like say, he is just a man that is on a mission with a microphone. He, he speaks his mind. People like to say he's over the top, but I think he's just right. And I, I love him. I think he speaks passionately. You can tell he's an ex-player, like he holds himself very well, like he's in the next game presser, like he just brings that sort of energy. And I think the, the, we'll never see the Campbell that we that everyone thinks, but I, I would love to be behind closed doors and be in a locker room with him just to see how different he is because none of this, it's not a charade, it's not a show, but it gives people what they want to hear and like he gets their back up and he gets them talking like, but then when he's behind closed doors, it's all business. It's just business, business, business. Like, thing, he's the best of both worlds. Yeah, definitely. I mean, one thing that struck me, and it struck me about every single time that I've seen Dan on things that aren't the Lions official channels, is that he does his research. He came in and said, you know, I don't like writing things down and I don't like to be too prepared and come across as this polished but kind of soulless guy. That was one of the things talked about in the podcast. But... He knew, he knew them all by name. He knew what they talk about. He knew what their personalities were like. The guy either must live or and breathe football all the time to listen to these guys all the time. Or he went, I've been booked for this thing. I'm going to listen to a few of the things of what they say so that I can come across as this knowledgeable, relatable guy who's going to get along with these guys on the podcast because I've committed to do it, so I'm going to do a good job. And I think that work ethic is going to translate. No, I agree. Yeah, like I say, he is the epitome of preparation without looking like he tried too hard. Like He just makes it look very natural. He's someone that is, people will write him off and he knows that. But when he comes in and he's prepared, he's going to start to surprise people. I think he's going to hopefully bring that ethos into the locker room like, you're an underdog, we're going to go out there, we're going to surprise people, we're going to show a few people up, we're going to say things that are going to get under people's skin along the way. But ultimately, we're going to do it our way. 
definitely. Right, last bit of the news, and it will feed into the schedule that we're just about to talk about. Field Yates on Twitter has just stated that sports, uh, sorry, Superbook Sports have released their early line for every NFL game in 2021. The Lions and the Texans are underdog for every game they are in. Do you think that's fair, Brian? Uh, no, it's probably not fair, but it's to be expected. If, when you when you look at the turnover of the squad, and we've been there's been a lot of publicity about everything that's gone on in Detroit. Like people do look at us pretty negatively. Like the Texans, well. There's only pretty much one reason why they're the underdog in every game, and that's because they don't know who's going to be quarterback. There's arguably a few more questions, but I'd say we, on paper, have a far better roster. People just don't seem to grasp that or just don't want to see it. People see Detroit how they want to see us. If they want to see us as an underdog and not have a chance at winning these games this season, that's fine by me because we can't disappoint. The only thing we can do is surprise people. So I'm fine with being written off. We've had it for years now. No different to normal. Right, let's get into the schedule and we're going to give our wins and losses and then maybe a hot take or two, which we'd not prepared, but screw it. We'll, give a, we'll do that right at the end and have some time to think about it. So first up, week one at home at Ford Field against San Francisco. How do you see that going, man? Happy to be home first up? Yeah, it's, it's never an issue. It's always a good thing to be at home. San Francisco is the great, it's a great first opening game. I don't fear them. I don't fear Jimmy Garoppolo in the slightest. I think he's a passenger. He's slightly better than average. Like, he doesn't bring anything that will worry me. The only thing I fear is their defence, but I'm not sure what it's going to be like without Salah. Is is there a spark that's going to be missing despite their talent? But I think, I'm putting that as a W. I think we can comfortably win that game. We're going to turn up and surprise a few people. I'm not so bullish. I don't think Garoppolo's a great quarterback. I'm with you on it. I do fear their defense. Is it going to be as good as you say? I don't know. What I fear is the coach. What I fear is that when Garoppolo was injured last year, San Francisco continued to pull out wins with Nick Mullins and CJ Beathard. They don't need a quarterback. They really don't because the schemes they get dreamt up actually accentuate the running back room, which they're terrifically good at. They're one of the best run-blocking teams in the league. And if we can't stuff the run, and maybe it's a good matchup for us in the X's and O's because we've actually invested in perhaps trying to stop the run. But week one, how good is Lynn McNeil going to be at that in this, in this defense? Not sure. It's at home. So, you know, you're meant to give a... A couple of point, uh, a couple of points in favour of the Lions, but for me, you look at San Francisco last year and their ability without a quarterback, and I just can't see a route to victory for the Lions. I can't. It's it's going to be really just too much for us, especially with a young wide receiver core over there, which is maturing nicely. Ayuk, I think, is going to be a big problem for our corners, who perhaps are still going to be learning at the time. So, I'm chalking this one down, unfortunately, as an opening loss. All right, moving on to week two, and we are at Green Bay for a primetime game on Monday night. What do you think? Well, it's primetime, so that means we'll lose. When do the Lions ever win when anyone's watching? People are sick of the death of the Lions point on TV because we always seem to disappoint. Like I say, right now, it's, it's looking like Aaron Rodgers is going to be there. 
I haven't seen really much movement to say that he's going to be traded. The old Denver rumble of a ridiculous offer. But right now, as if I'm looking at him as the quarterback, I think they've had a, well, it wasn't the best draft, but they ultimately always give us problems. Even when we shut down Devontae Adams, we always let one of St. Valdez Scantlin, he ran free last year when we tried our best to stop wide receiver one. And like you said, mentioning, it's going to be again, can we stop the run? Can we improve our middle core? Because if not, AJ Dillon and Aaron Jones are going to run wild again. But yeah, that's that's going down as a loss. Would you change your mind if Rogers wasn't playing? Yeah, because I don't rate John Love. I didn't rate him in college. It was a reach when they drafted. And I just don't think he'll be prepared. Do you think it would be Jordan Love? Or would it be the number four overall pick formerly of Jacksonville? Starting? Uh, Blake Bortles. It would, it would be hilarious. I think Blake Bortles would give us a world of problems. Like he's, yeah. still, he's still a good quarterback and he's probably pretty cheap. Like, I think they've brought him in for some real competition for love. Like There's no brushing him off. But like I say, he could well. You'd expect what they paid for love. Like he would have to play. But that doesn't necessarily mean he should. I just think of Bortles and I think of the good place. I just do. I can't help it. And if you've not seen it, it's worth it just for understanding where all the Bortles love comes from in that. Uh, it's absolutely hilarious. Um, I rate Bortles. I'm probably one of the few people that do. But I think Bortles is thought of in the same way that Goff is thought of now. I think Goff is a better quarterback, obviously. But everyone said about Bortles, oh, well, he was just a passenger on the way to Jacksonville's defense taking them to the championship game. And it's like, yeah, but... He did play well throughout that run. It wasn't like he he he. It was all rushing attack. Like he legitimately played very well all the way through, including in the championship game against the Pats, where they should have won and absolutely blew it. So, I think they will start Jordan Love if it's not Rogers, and I think they shouldn't. I think it should be the best quarterback that they have, which is not Love. Um, I don't think Rogers is back. Yeah. I I kind of said when this all started. I'll believe it when I see it. When week one starts and Rogers isn't on the centre, you know, that's when I'll believe it because we've seen this story before. But the longer it goes on, the less that is given by either side. I think the harder it is to come back. Like I, I genuinely see every passing moment being a nail in the coffin of this. I genuinely think he could just walk away from the game altogether rather than play the game. I do feel like even forfeiting a signing bonus, like at the moment, retirement could be a much more appealing option than a trade for him requesting a trade. He could just walk away altogether. Like say, the longer no one comes out and says something, that's what happened with Russell Wilson. Until someone came out and said something, like no bridges were built, like they managed to somehow lick their wounds. We don't know how Seattle are going to be, but right now it's a very, it's, this silence speaks volumes and, it's, it's not looking good. We don't know where anyone's head's at. No. I, it just, I, I've listened to so many podcasts and so many takes on this, but it's amazing that pretty much everyone is unanimous on this, that you know Green Bay haven't screwed him over with the roster building. They really haven't. They've delivered him a good roster that's been competitive. Um, and if Rogers is unhappy, 
that they've got to listen to him on why and try and forsake him because he is the face of the franchise and maybe they haven't done that but that it's absolutely criminal that they didn't warn him that they might be taking a quarterback in round one like if they potentially could have traded up last year for a quarterback a cursory note to say to him we might be doing this is the minimum expectation it really points to a complete lack of common sense at the Green Bay organization it actually warms my heart to say it but they might actually be in greater disarray than we are not in terms of the quality of the roster but in terms of the quality of the front office and coaching staff no I agree we've seen like in the last year or two that more and more quarterbacks are coming out and saying I want to say I want you to hear my opinion when it comes to drafting decisions I know I'm not entitled to it but it's courtesy like Russell Wilson like say Deshaun Watson like Watson wanted in on that front office it wanted to be heard when it came to making decisions and if you have a franchise quarterback and you don't hear them out when it makes a decision it does really make them wonder where their future lies and I'm pretty sure Devontae Adams he's also pretty much like hinted at with the cheeky tweet like if Rodgers goes am I going to sign a big money deal to stay here does my future lie here either this could have a big knock-on effect this, this could be the end of the Green Bay dynasty. And I say dynasty kind of lightly because they've not been, they've been moderately successful over the past decade. But in the same way that the Patriots went through a drought of not winning a Super Bowl for eight years or whatever it was, but you know they're still making the playoffs every single season. But you could see them quickly transitioning to the worst team in this division. If Rodgers goes and the other players lose faith, you saw it with New England. No Brady. You know, good luck, mate. Um, and I don't think he's back. And I do think that we get the win in Lambeau. I'm chalking it up. Lions win at Lambeau. Right, week three. And I'll kick us off. At, uh, we are in Ford Field against the Baltimore Ravens. Obviously, we're playing on Monday night. The Ravens have a late game week two. So, not a massive difference. We're away at Green Bay, so obviously it's not exactly a long trip home, so I don't think that's going to be too much of a factor. But I do think that after a kind of down season for the quarterback, that Baltimore are going are gonna to rebound this season. I say it's strange to say rebounds when they had a good year last year, just not quite as good as the season before that. But I think they're due a bit of a bounce. They're in a really tough division, um, you know, so... They're going to have to see this game as one. They're actually going to have to steamroller in order to build some momentum for their season. It's at home. They haven't got the greatest edge players, so maybe you know we're going to be able to protect our quarterback quite nicely. But that defense is ferocious, and I'm not sure how we keep Lamar Jackson in the pocket. So I'm going to chalk this one up as an L, man. How about you? Yeah, I'm going to take this as a. This is going to be a loss. I'm not as high on Lamar Jackson as others, but like you say, they did go out and gain weapons and that was a big criticism. Like you say, like, could he make the most of it as a passing quarterback if you gave him weapons? So they did. So they've given him what he's asked for. He's listened. Like you say, can we keep him in the pocket? And that's where the likes of Derek Barnes come in. Can we keep a guy in the pocket? Or if he gets out of the pocket, can we contain him? Can we stop him getting the first down? Can we manage to seal our edges keep that contain like if he runs wild and he just is taking off the first downs each time it's going to be a really long night because we're going to have to be testing everyone knows a fantastic secondary 
like their defense on the back end is something that to be feared. And they're arguably in like a top three division in football right now. The AFC North is 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 really hard. It's not a fun division to play in. They will expect to get us and they're going to want to put up points. I'm hoping we can keep it tight, but it's going to end up with a, an L, I think. Yeah, I'm with you there. No complaints. All right. Week four, we are on the road against the Chicago Bears. What do you think? Well, this is another one that comes down to quarterback play. By now, have the wheels fallen off Andy Dalton? Probably not. Like I say, do I do I fear Andy Dalton? No, not in the slightest. Do I think we can beat him? Of course we can. I think we can get some pressure after him and he'll fold like a deck chair. But years for seasons now, that defense has given nothing but problems. We have not handled that defense at all very well. But they have just lost Kendall Fuller. So they have lost a key anchor that has caused us problems. I think this is this is going to be a tie. I'm calling this as a tie. I think we are going to be a match each other across the field in some aspects, but ultimately it's going to come down and we're going to just struggle to get over the line out of a team. This is a real struggle for me because I think this is one that we can win. Um, do I fear Dalton? No. Do I think he gives them the best chance to win? Maybe. Maybe, yeah. I don't know. I, I feel like a seasoned vet is perhaps going to provide a higher floor than, than someone like Fields. It could be Fields' first start. So, God, first start, divisional game. I don't know. Big pressure. Big pressure. But then I had to say during our draft coverage, you know, if there's someone who performs under pressure in the big games, it's Justin Fields. So there's that aspect of it as well. It's it's one that I really want to give us a win for, but I, I don't think I can. Away at the Bears, that defense. Yes, you, like you say, they've lost Fuller. It, it's really a battle in the trenches. If our O line holds up, we've got a fantastic chance in that game. I'm going to chalk it up as an L, and I hate it. I really hate it. I don't want to do it. Ah, okay, I, I don't like that at all. Okay, week five, on the road again against Minnesota. And that's our final on-the-road divisional game by week five, which is unbelievable scheduling. Um, you know, fair play to the NFL, getting all of our hard games out of the way early. Um, um, Minnesota, uh, no factors in terms of late games, Monday, Thursday, anything like that. Have a look at these rosters. I called their team trash last year, and eventually, eventually, I was proven right after a really good start for the Vikings. Um, how are they going to do this year? I think they're going to do the opposite. I think they're going to start badly and maybe kind of come back. But I think this coaching staff, this front office, are on the hot seat, much as the Chicago one is. If Minnesota are one and four after this game, or two and three at this point. That could be them for the, well, very close to the chop. At least they're going to be feeding the pressure. Is their roster best than ours? Yeah, it is. And for that reason, I'm chalking up as an L. Um, you know, if we play a greater than the sum of our parts, which I think really could happen this year, and that's what I'm looking for. Are we going to play better than our roster is? Then I give us a, all the chance in the world because cousins can crumble. But 
I'm, I'm playing this as straight as I can. I'm going, right, call this game in isolation. Win or loss, are they better than us? Yes, they are. Loss. What about you, man? No, I disagree. Like, I think this is one we can win because I don't trust that O-line. I think we can exploit an O-line that has become weaker and they're trying to patch in with some rookies. I think we can use our experience on the defensive line and we could potentially have a party in that backfield. Like Dalvin Cook is a fantastic running back, but he does like a good solid hole. When he hits the hole, he's gone. He loves the lane. If they can't get that to him, if they struggle to create any movement for him and they force him to make decisions and move outside, we're going to be able to stall the offence. That's what I'm thinking. We don't have to stop it, but we can stall it. If a Kudra or someone can make the jump and we can just hold Justin Jefferson, if we can just keep him remotely quiet, moving the chains, they've lost Kyle Rudolph, who always hurts us. He's a big loss for them. I think we can hold them to a reasonable margin of points. And I'm hoping we can attack that secondary. They've got such a still an overturn of corners. Like they are losing players. They've lost their star safety, in my opinion. Like he's gone now, isn't he, Anthony Harris? I think so, yeah. Yep. Like I say, one of PFF highest safeties. So they're now trying to fit in and fill a few gaps. I think this is a game we can win just with patience. I think it could be very low scoring. I think this could be a real battle on the lines, but I think we can just nick this one. Like I said, this could be the start of the end for Zimmer. Chalking it up as a W then? W. All right. Okay. Wow. That's a hot take if I've seen one. Uh, Dan has said in the chat, we have a great record on that day. I think he's referring to week five. We're on a slight delay when it comes through to the stream. But I'm, I think it's either the Chicago game or the, the Minnesota game. I think that Eric talked about it on the breakdown podcast that the Lions haven't lost in 20 years on that specific day that he's referring to. So maybe Dan will let me know when he comes through in about 15 seconds time and I can update us. But my memory doesn't stretch that far. Um, okay. Week six kicks off. We are at home against Cincinnati Bengals. Oh, this this is really hard. This is going to be really interesting. By now, we're going to know how Burrow is. Like, apparently, he's well on his way. Apparently, he's looking sharp. He's rehab really well. Is the O-line going to uh, learn its lessons from last season? Is it going to be able to protect him? I think this is going to be another close game. This is going to be one that could come down to the final drive. This could be a, a Randy Bullock snatches it from them. This is going to be like a game that comes down to a field goal. I, I think we, I think we could nick this. I think we have got the, uh, the presence interior because by now I'm hoping that Aleem, Brockers, Levi are starting to get in a bit of a groove together. They could apply some pressure to his offensive line. Let's really test Burrow. Let's see how that knee is. Let's get after him. I think they've got a fantastic wide receiver core. I'd say they're going to be really hard to stop on the back end. So hopefully we've had no injuries by this point. But I think I think when it comes down to it, we could nick this on a field goal. So I'm going to take this as a, a hot take win. I think this is going to be back-to-back wins. And it could be the only back-to-back wins all season. This is such a hard one for me to call because I really like the what the Bengals are doing. I know that Chase isn't who any of us would have picked. You know, we all thought Sewell should go there and they've made a mistake. But they did take 
O-line help in round two. They did take from free agency Riley Reef to play tackle. He's not a world-ending tackle, but he's going to do a good job there. We all know what Riley can do at the lines. Um, so the O-line is going to be better. It's going to protect him, uh, Burrow better. We know that the wide receiver core is really good there. One of the best in the league. Not, you know, not number one, but it's maybe around the sort of five position. I'd say top five, maybe, maybe just outside that, but it's close. The defense is going to be a, a problem there. Um, oh, I don't know. The coach is a question mark too. And at home, I'm going to just marginally give it a win as well. But I, I, I wouldn't be surprised to see that go against us. And I think the majority of Lions fans I've talked to have chalked this up as like a dead cert win. And I cannot emphasize enough how much I feel like that's misguided. You know, Vegas thinks that we're going to lose every single game, including that one. So there must be a reason for that. All right. I'll kick us off then with a, with a consensus win against Cincinnati in week six. Roll into Los Angeles and the Rams and the re oh, reacquaintance with Matthew Stafford and Jared Goff with the Rams too. At LA, that Rams side, I mean, we all know what that defense can do. They've got two of the best players in the league on that defense. Uh, now, we know that their front office staff, their coaching staff, has been gutted this year. You know, they lost both their scouting directors to us in the GM roles. Uh, they lost their defensive coordinator to the Chargers um, as a head coach. Uh, and, you know, I think that this is one of the really underrated narratives is that if you have a look at the team they had there last year, the head coach is really one of the few that's actually remaining. And how much of what's going on there is down to the head coach and how much went wrong perhaps because of the head coach when Goff was there. And our team actually is coming together quite nicely. My hot take is I think the Lions are going to win this game. I think we're going to do it. What do you think? I don't like to say this is this is going to be an interesting one. This is going to be such this is a big it's going to be a big clash of styles, like I say, because Goff is going to play, is playing. We're going to see the offense Goff used to be in. Like they're going to see how they tweak it for Stafford. Like Stafford doesn't fit in a proper West Coast offense. You don't want to mean swings or bootlegs or in reverses, like RPL, RPL stuff. Like they're going to have to tailor it around him. Like this is going to be the game where we finally see what Stafford brings to the table that we haven't seen before. Like I think he's gonna gonna be looking at this one like he must win for his own just for him, like deep down, he is gonna want to win this so badly to prove some of the silences, hate some the hate he's had over the years, like saying that just it wasn't good enough, he didn't have to win. I do also think we can win. I think we can live up to the hype, and I think we can potentially this would be a big upset for Detroit if we beat this game. No one want, expects us to win this game. But I think we can. I think Goff is going to finally, he's going to wake up that day and he's just going to do everything in his power. He's going to put on a show against a team that he knows really well. And those two quarterbacks are going to out-duel. This is going to be a duel against each other, I think. The defence that holds up the best 
is going to probably take this game. It's going to come down to a mistake potentially. But I'm going to take this as a win. Yeah, I'm, I'm take feeling it as a win. Wow, yeah. wow! I didn't think we'd both go for that. That's that's wild. I mean, the thing is, if there's one thing that Goff's going to know how to play against, it's it's this defense because it hasn't changed. But Stafford's not going to have seen this defense before. No. We've got speed, and if we know one thing about this Rams offense, the receivers know how to separate. If it was Detroit's defense from last year, I'd be calling a thirty-point win. For the Rams, you know, I, I wouldn't be holding back on how many points I think we could lose by because if you've got Jelani Tavai trying to cover Cooper Cup, good luck with that. That's not going to work. But that's not the defense we're running this year. And I actually think X's and O's wise, we match up quite well against this team. Don't throw it at Ramsey if you can avoid it. You know, let's hope our O line and, and Ragnall can do a job on Aaron Donald and, you know, I think it gives us a real chance. All right. We roll in from three straight wins with Ryan and two from me. Back at home, week eight, just before the bye, against the Philadelphia Eagles. They have the mid-slot on Sunday away at Las Vegas the week before this game. What do you think about this game? I don't know what their record's going to be by here. Like, I have no idea. You don't know what Eagles are going to turn up on the day. Like, they've made some good additions. They've done pretty well. Like, I like the Ryan Kerrigan signing. Like, he has someone that's statistically, he's had our number. He's always shown up against Detroit on tape. Like, he he enjoys playing us. So that's someone that gives him a bit of a veteran, veteran edge presence. So it's, do I, do I trust Jalen Hurts? No, not really. Right. But what, what other options they have right now? They could just be trying to kick the bucket and carrying on in such a competitive disposition. This is a game we could very easily win, but I'm going to say this is a loss. I'm going to say we messed this one up badly. We're going to throw this game away somehow like a Lions normally do. So a loss against the Philadelphia Lions. Um, Okay. (laughs) For all the players that they have of ours. Um, I'm with you. I don't think it's one that we throw away, though. I think it's one that we genuinely get beaten by. Jalen Hurts is not the answer, at quarterback there, but he has a good enough arm and he's good on the ground, enough so that I think that that can cause us a problem. I like their wide receiver room. I think it's underrated because of poor performance recently, but it's got pedigree and it's gotten better. Um, uh, their, their trenches are stacked, and this gets overlooked. Is their O-line their D-line is absolutely fantastic, and with Kerrigan, as you say, it's only gotten better. I think this is one where, you know, we've invested heavily in our D-line. We're going to win in the trenches as much as we can on both sides of the ball. That's our game plan. I I don't think that was the plan going into the draft, but it certainly has to be coming out of it. But Philadelphia is someone who I think can beat us on both lines. That D-line is good enough to beat our O-line, no matter how good our O-line is. So I'm talking about it as an L. I think it's a close game, but I think that we're well beat at the end of it. So... Sadly. Anyway, we roll into the bye in week nine. Uh, I have a three and five record. Ryan, you're four, three and one at the moment. So, you know, above 500 rolling into the bye. Halfway point. Unbelievable. Um, Not my last. (laughs) Okay, uh, take it away. Week 10 at Pittsburgh. They will be playing the game the week before Monday night against Chicago. 
Mm, so they're, they're on a short week. That's not ideal preparation for them. But I suppose what it's going to come down to is, like I say, is Big Ben still standing? Right now, if he's healthy, I think he's going to be on a comeback season. I think he's probably going to be in the running for comeback player of the year right now. This is going to be a loss. And I think Najee Harris is probably going to uh, have a fantastic game because I think he's a he's a he's a, just a good running back. They've had a turnover of running backs, like I say, but this could potentially be the franchise guy. We know all about their defense. Like they had so many guys that went down with injuries. Like they're getting back the likes of Bud Dupree, fantastic player. Like I say, they've got some great guys on the outside. Minka Fitzpatrick. They've got what. Like this defense is going to be probably one of the best we play all year, I think. And we're, there's no chance where we're going to win this game. Yeah, I don't give us much of a shot either. I'm not sure that Harris is going to do a huge amount because how much better has that O line got? That O line was a big well, problem. Half it retired, didn't it? So I'm not sure that Harris is going to have a great game. He's going to have to do it, I think, in the receiving game as much as he does the running game in this game. But you know what? I don't think that makes too much of a difference here. The defense is electric, despite the fact that they lost a couple of guys. And I, I'm with you. Big Ben isn't going to roll over. It's not like his athleticism was a big part of his game anyway. So can he launch the ball? Has he got an arm? I think he does. I think we lose this one. All right. And into week 11 off the back of a couple of straight losses and a second away game in a row, but not too far to go, at the Cleveland Browns. And... For, for me, this is one of the Super Bowl contenders, Lenny Dawes. This is, I'm going to say, I think this is the best roster in the NFL on both sides of the ball. They've made their strengths stronger. They've plugged some weaknesses. They've taken some luxury players, too, that kind of, you know, a linebacker and, and what have you. A Jeremiah Owusu Koromoa in the second round. I know he had a potential issue but I don't think that's going to actually affect him too much. If they can find a place for him, oh, man. I, I, the running back room, they are too deep with RB1s. You know, it's it's unbelievable. Baker Mayfield, the best season of his career. And I don't see that turning around and going back down the other way. I think I see Baker getting better and better. His skill set, I think, is one that is going to mature over a long period of time. You might see his star rise as the years go by. Uh, so... This is an easy loss for me. What about you? This is going to be one of the biggest losses of the season. I think we're going to get absolutely steamrolled, I think, unfortunately. Like you say, they've got, I think they've got the best secondary in football. They have got the best corners and safeties on any roster in the league. And I think they're going to take us to the town. Multiple exceptions, potential pick six. There's, they're just a, a play waiting to happen. They're, if you take them on, they're going to punish you. Like you say, they've got a fantastic run game. They can just interchange the back seamlessly. You never know which one's in because they look identical. And like you say, there's tons of pressure right now on Baker Mayfield. This is the year it's kind of got to come together. Like, And I think it will. I think he's going to rise to the challenge and prove his doubt was wrong. I think we're going to lose by a good 20, 30 points, unfortunately. Can you imagine what happens if him and OBJ get on the same page? I mean, it's well it's well established that they haven't actually done that well together so yeah. far. What happens when they do? I, I just it's a scary, scary prospect. Right. Week twelve, home against the Chicago Bears for the second run out. What do you reckon? 
Uh, right, by now, Justin Fields is definitely playing. I think whatever's happened, I think Fields is in now because Dalton, even if he's healthy, he's probably been naff. And I think this is a loss. I think Justin Fields, you throw him in, it's sink or swim. He's going to swim. He's going to rise to the occasion, especially against a rival like us. Like I say, he's going to hurt us with his legs as well as his arm. I think we're just, we're going to have to take this one as a loss. We'll, we'll try our best, but ultimately, we're going to succumb to it. At this point in time, the biggest thing for me, knowing that Fields is going to be there, is our safety room. Do we invest in another safety? Can we get another starter from somewhere? Because you are going up against the most accurate deep ball rookie in the draft class. He was exceptional on that deep ball. You saw it against Clemson, against Trevor Lawrence. He was on fire in the big game in the National Championship semi. And that's not a fluke. It's not a flash out of the plan. He does it with regularity. Those 50, 60-yard bombs right on the money. And if we're going out there starting at strong safety with a guy who has predominantly played special teams in his career in, say, Dean Marlowe, or has played a handful of games in his career and is really a rookie in Bobby Price, or someone that we know doesn't have the chops to do it at this level in Will Harris. Fields is one of the worst quarterbacks we can face. He's someone who matches up terrifically well against what we do. If Fields is playing, we lose, and Fields is playing. So we lose. Yep. We roll into week 13 at home against Minnesota. And this is a completely different animal. So we've both got four straight losses coming to this game. Minnesota are playing at the 49ers the week before. So they're coming off the West Coast. Probably a loss for them at this point. And we know that the NFC North have the hardest schedule of all of the divisions this year. So we know that all of these guys might be struggling a little bit. The Vikings are not a good team. We already discussed that when we were talking about the Week 5 matchup. You pick the win, I pick the loss, but I thought it was close. At this point in the season, the Vikings, all, four, all three of the other NFC North teams have a harder schedule than we do, apparently, and that happens, you know, because they came above us in the division and they're playing the teams that were slightly above uh, in the other divisions that we're facing. So it's not going to be the easy run out for them. They're playing all the teams we are, basically. So... I, I think the coaching staff may well have gone at this point. I think they're in absolute disarray, perhaps with an interim head coach. We've come off four losses. Dan Campbell's going to be really eager for a win here. And I think it's going to be delivered to him against their franchise in a, in a lot of trouble in the Minnesota Vikings. What about you? No, I agree. Like you say, if by now this team has got five, six losses, I think you're going to have to let Zimmer go. You're going to have to make one of your coordinators an interim coach and they're going to be in disarray, like you say. They're going to have to be robbing from Peter to pay Paul and they're going to struggle on one side of the ball, potentially. Like you say, we don't know. Cousins is, might have been up and down by now. Their O-line might have gelled. They might have managed to slowly build a bit of confidence there, but I think this is the kind of game that we could finish them off. We could finish their season right here and kill all their hope, but I think this is the... I think this could be one of the last wins of the season. So I think we're, by now we've gained a little bit of momentum. The defensive line have finally got it together. They're no longer rookies by now. They're seasoned in there. They're groomed in. Can get some pressure towards him. And uh, I think we can finish them off, yeah. And any playoff hopes. Or right. wildcard. That's a and, w. and staying in the 
playoff race that you have it as well with five, six, and one at the moment for you, four and eight for me. Uh, does that add up? Yeah, that adds up. Um, so that's through 12 games at week 13 and week 14. After winning uh, against Minnesota, we roll back to Ford Field to play the Denver Broncos at mile high. What do you reckon? The Denver. They're, they're at Kansas the week before, if that affects anything. Right, so they've probably just got a shellacking. They've probably just got a spanking from Kansas. So they're probably coming to us now licking their wounds. Now, at this point, is Drew Locke being benched or not? That, 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 that's a very realistic player. I don't rate him. I think he's a terrible quarterback. So they, they have Rodgers. I mean, it's the one landing spot everyone talks about. But they've got talent everywhere. There's That roster is stacked. You just have to look at the wide receiver room and you look at, like, say, you've got two good safeties. You've got, like, say, the likes of... Like, this, this is a really good team. Like, they've lost a running back in, like, uh, Lindsay... But like they've managed to probably grain in now, someone to get a run game. This is this is a really hard one. Like this is this is a key game in the season, really. Like if we're going, who's off there now? Like if it was Drew Lock, I'd say we're gonna potentially scrape a win. This I'm gonna say this is probably yeah. I'll, I'll take a win. I think they're coming in and they're they're upset from Kansas City and we can pile on the misery. That's a hot take for me. Uh, I don't rate Drew Locke. I think he is an interception machine. But one thing I do say about his interceptions is he launches them. <laughs> you know, it's basically like a punt whenever he does. Um, you, like you say, that roster is stacked there. Perhaps they've got one of the best rosters in the NFL. It's just a shame for them that their hole is at quarterback. Obviously, if they have Rodgers, they're contending for a Super Bowl. So if they can get him, they should pay any price. I mean, three first-rounders. You know, what are you building the roster for if you can't deliver the quarterback? The problem with Denver is that they're not going to be able to lose so badly this year that they'll be able to deliver to themselves a quarterback capable of doing it. They're just not. And can they trade up for one? Well, if they're going to be drafting at 17, 16, if they just finish 8 and 8, or 8 and 9, or 9 and 8, or whatever, they're not going to be getting their guy future, so they need to take a risk, and this is the time to do it. So go and get a quarterback. But as it stands, I still think we lose, because I just think that they're too strong all across the board. I see us really struggling to score a touchdown in this game. So, you know, I can see... I can see a 13 to 3 loss or something in that sort of vein where we just really struggle. Um, it's away, it's in a location that's, you know, altitude. Imal Hard does some strange things to people sometimes. It's not the best away location for us. Everything really is a loss for me. It's not going to be a good watch at all. It's not going to be good for either team, really. Yeah, I don't know. Um, Dan's just said, are they going to get too weakened after getting Rodgers? Um, if they get Rodgers, I don't see why they need any draft picks. I just don't. That roster's ready to go. If they can retain their roster for the next two years, and you've seen from Tampa, you can do that. They retain that roster, they're contending. I don't care whether they have any picks or not. So sell the farm. 
and you know it's going to screw them in in the years to come if they do this they are saying right we're happy to contend for a super bowl for the next three years and then we are in rebuild mode but if you offered a team with a roster like that the chance to do it great it's going to be an absolute travesty if that roster doesn't contend for a super bowl because it cannot get their quarterback and they they might have one fall into their laps you know they might be someone who's in for deshaun watson when his inevitable ban comes to an end you know by week by the trade deadline deshaun watson could be on the market and have served his ban and if they are five and four four and four what the trade deadline's week eight i think something like that so if they're five and three four and four go get deshaun watson i mean i'd hate it as a fan because i don't want him anywhere near my team but go and do it if you haven't gone and got rogers contend if this team doesn't win a Super Bowl or get into a Super Bowl in the next three years, I would be so pissed off about that fan base because they've done such a good job with everything else. Yeah, like you say, they took, they've just built good picks. Like everyone's surprised when they took Garrett Bowles, but they've actually turned him into a really good player. Like that line is actually really solid right now. There's just no one for it to protect. I saw a mock draft where they sent Garrett Bowles, they sent Bradley Chubb. I think it was Tim Patrick and a load of picks. And I just saw it and I thought, I cringed. I like that. It's far too much. Like, I'm fine with sending the house of picks, but don't send your best players, like, because that that hurts your cause. You cannot send Bradley Chubb the other way because he is a fantastic player. Or even and Garrett Bowles. Like, that would be an awful decision. Just yeah. send all the capital you've got. Leave the players. Yeah, completely agree. Dan's just said he saw that... Uh trade offer too. I think it was three first round picks along with Locke and Chubb and, and the other man you say um, whose name escapes me but yeah it's it's just a terrible decision it takes you out of you know absolutely contending to yeah. being merely a strong playoff team and you know that's enough to win a Super Bowl but not consistently they're there apart from the calls back anyway right let's move on to week 15 at home against the Arizona Cardinals now Third straight year we're playing them, I think. Maybe fourth. Third straight year. They are playing at home against the Rams on Monday night, the week before. So short week. Um, We're playing in Denver, so it's not the... Oh, sorry. It's... Beg your pardon, it's at home. Um, But even then, you know, they're coming up against the Rams team in division. That's going to be a really hard-fought game. It's a team that... It, again, it's question marks about the coach. Cliff is not the guy that we thought he was going to be. And it's a team that the, the roster is strong. I really think that this roster is built to succeed. But it hasn't been doing. And we need to see a step from Kyler Murray up. Because for all his ability to beat guys with ball in hand and, and running, and, and, you know, he had the Hail Mary, and, and good for him. But on a consistent basis, beating people with his arm is, is going to need to happen this year. But I think this is the year it comes together. I think that we've talked about the fact that they're a matchup problem for us, that we don't do particularly well against mobile quarterbacks. And, you know, he had a bad day last year and, and we had three picks. But we know now that that was a fluke because how many picks did we get through the season? You know, it's not going to happen again. And if we don't have those picks, do we really win that game? I just don't think so. I think we lose this game, and I think we lose it fairly comfortably. What about you? 
I agree. Uh, I think if you go back the last two years, like through like eight weeks, the Cardinals were like six and two. They were riding on high wave, but they'd finished like eight and eight in like two of them. They always have a second half collapse. Like you say, Cliff Kingsbury's getting a sack this year when they get that second half collapse. He is not a good coach. Like he is not a finisher. Like he doesn't back it up what he says, but they will be delighted to see us in the second half of their schedule because it's like I say stylistically, Kyler Murray is absolutely our worst nightmare. We cannot contain him for love and money. He will easily kill us with his legs. And once he stops the line of scrimmage, he'll get us with short passes, shovels, dumps offs. Like we're not going to be able to stop him. We're going to lose this pretty comfortably just because of how little we were able to contain him. All right, and we are then coming back home to play against the Atlanta Falcons in week 16. Their two-week run beforehand is at Carolina and then at San Francisco before returning home. What do you think? Uh, don't particularly rate them, but we, we it's it's a game we'll we could probably make ridiculously hard work of. They're kind of, they're great. Like, when I look at the draft, did, did they really strengthen that much? Did they really look at the areas that they needed to? I don't feel like they did. I still feel like that defence has got so many holes. They signed Deron Harmon, a bit of a veteran presence on the back end. But this game is so winnable. It's always winnable when we play the Falcons because they're just, they're not that good. They're not very good, in my opinion. But... Oh, come off a hiding potential from the Cardinals. Uh, I want to think we'll win this, but I'm going to say we. Uh, I'm going to say we lose this one in a nail biter. I have a slightly different opinion to you, man. I I think with the new coaching staff going in there, that it's going to revitalize this team a little bit. I still think Matt Ryan is sort of a similar standard to Matthew Stafford in that he just goes out there and he bombs out, he gets his yards, he gets his touchdowns. Kyle Pitts is another guy who's an absolute nightmare to match up against. You talk about Dan Campbell and we'll put our best on your worst. If Arthur Smith can do that for the Atlanta Falcons and they've still got Julio Jones, Calvin Ridley, Kyle Pitts, if they can get a running back who's worth his salt in that room as well. Uh, they have Hayden Hurst to fairly good O-line. Not the best, but it's all right. Defense is suspect, but I think they'll see a slight bounce because, you know, Quinn, for all his defensive chops from, from the Seahawks, clearly didn't know what he was doing or didn't hire people who knew what they were doing. And I see that changing. You know, with fresh set of eyes, fresh set of ideas sometimes revitalizes that sort of thing. And we're hoping we see that here. I think they're going to see that there. We don't match up well against them for me on defense. I know that we're tall, but they're taller. <laughs> then, you know, they're a well-established offense that hasn't seen any potential falls. So I think they outscore us in a bit of a in a bit of a shootout. It's going to be a fun game to watch, whatever happens. I think similarly matched teams, but they're at home too. So I'm chalking this up as an L. Julio Jones will be there. No chance. I don't think he'll make the he won't make the trade deadlines a Falcon anymore. His days are numbered. That's my take. All right. Um, I'll take us up an ultimate game at Seattle, final away game of the year. 
they haven't got any scheduling problems to worry about. Obviously, games can be flexed at this point, and uh, I think they're one of the prime candidates here to have a game flexed, potentially. They're going to be in the running for the division. I think the Rams are favourites. I think that's a mistake. I think that Wilson and that offence is going to you know, be very, very good. I think that they have taken an offensive lineman in a trade and re-signment. Uh, I can't remember who it was that they traded for, but they have got some more weapons there. They took a wide receiver in the draft with one of their few draft picks that they had, made a strength stronger. Um, it's, it's in Seattle. You know, they're one of the best teams at home in the league. The, the clink is not an easy place to go to. And I know Goff knows this team very well. This team also knows Goff very well. So I think this is a loss. I don't think it's particularly controversial. What about you? No, this is a pretty straightforward loss. Going to CenturyLink Field is not easy. It's a very uh, difficult away day at the most times for best of people. I think by now, like you say, Wilson's all happy and smiles. Everything's forgotten because his line's protected him. It's a must win for them if they're going to win the division. Right now, they're probably head-to-head -head with someone, so they can't afford any slip-ups, and we probably get beaten pretty comfortably. All right, and final game at home against Green Bay. I've got us 4-12 and 12 at this point. You are at 6-9-1. and one. How do you see it going week 18? First week 18 ever. <sighs> This is, this is the biggest game for the year, mate. This is the game where I want to go out in style. I really want to rub it in, like their Packers' faces. Like This would be a great end to the season. But I think <clears throat> this is just going to fizzle out. Our year, after about week nine or ten, is just going to go down the pan for me. And I think this is going to be a, a miserable loss. I just think it's going to be very depressing into the season. So this is one where I, I called a win in week two away at Green Bay. And that's because I don't think Rodgers is there anymore. But the quality of that team is still there. And, you know, we, we doubted them last year thinking that the roster was poor, that Rodgers wasn't looking like himself, that they were going to struggle last year. And it wasn't true. That roster is much better than it looks on paper. And I don't think it's just because of Rodgers. I think that that is a kind of team cohesion thing. And while I think their front office has troubles, I think that Lafleur is a terrific coach. I think he gets the best out of the players he has there. I think the Rodgers transition is going to be difficult for them. I don't have any qualms with a week two win away. But I think whatever has happened with Rodgers, they've sorted it out and they've found ways to win again. I think we're going to struggle against Aaron Jones in both games. And especially this one. You know, if they don't have a quarterback, I think that Dylan and Jones is a two-headed monster, particularly maybe with both of them on the field, and 21, 22 personnel is going to hurt. So I think we find a way to lose this game, and it's it's really going to hurt to finish the, the season this way, but but there we have it. So final standings for for you, Ryan, 6-10-1. For me, 4-13-0. Oh. Uh, we have... You have three wins in a row in the middle of the season. We start out with a win and then wins back-to-back -back against Minnesota and Denver intermixed with two four-loss streaks. For me, I have a four and a five-loss streak as well as starting out with a one-and-four record. 
you actually have us above 500 in week seven, which is just amazing to me. So, you know, there's some there's some pretty spicy takes in there for you winning opening day against San Francisco, beating the Rams, um, beating Denver in Denver. For me, beating Green Bay. You know, there's some spicy stuff in there. And no Julio Jones at Atlanta by week 16. You don't think they're contending, I imagine, then by that point. So oh, I said we're going to do some hot takes. I think we've delivered on that point. Any closing comments about the schedule? Anything that you did you expect us to have more primetime games or less? Um, what do you think about the Bears? Third time in four years on Thanksgiving. Uh, I'm not surprised by the amount of primetime games. I think the two games that for neutrals are the most meaningful have been given to us, like say that the Bears, that just becomes a staple now, doesn't it? It's always a fairly hotly contested game on Thanksgiving. So it's always something that means a lot to both sides. And then, like you say, you've got the dynamic of the year. Uh, it's Stafford v. Goff, and it's not LA v. Detroit. It's the quarterbacks v. each other. Like For the neutral, that might be quite interesting, but it could end up being a damp squib. I just look at this, uh, this season. I think I've seen... On average, the strength of schedule is 0.522. So on average, everyone last year had a winning record or equal. I think it's the sixth hardest. So it's just going to be another year where it's just, it's like breaking in bad shoes. Like when you get a pair of brand new shoes and you know for like the first few weeks, they're going to hurt you. They're going to cut your feet a bit. They're going to be scabs. But in the end, you might get there. This year is going to be that. This is going to be wearing plasters on your feet and limping a bit. But we'll get there. It's just not going to be very pretty this year, whether we win or lose. Yeah, yeah, I agree. It's um, it's going to be a brawl. It's going to be, you know, five rounds in the octagon and going to come out with a bloody face one way or the other. Um, I do wish they'd pick someone else for Thanksgiving. If it wasn't Green Bay, if it wasn't Minnesota even, it would be a nice change of pace. But you could have chosen... Arizona, I think that's going to be an, a competitive game one way or the other by two yeah. potentially struggling teams. I still think that all that Arizona have a good roster, that they're probably the weakest team in the division there. I think the Philadelphia would have been interesting. I think that would be two similar, you know, similar style, uh, not style, similar standard teams. At the end of the day, on Thanksgiving, national media watching, you want a competitive game. You don't want a steamroller. Cincinnati would have been good. San Francisco would have been good. I, yeah, I don't know. I think any other choice would have been fine, but I'm kind of disappointed by it being the Bears, but it's in division, so, you know, fine. Um, I'm 4-13, and I am disappointed that I've gone that way, but I don't hate it. I think it gives us a shot at really turning things around the year after. Obviously, like I said, we've got options to really spend in free agency. At 4-13, and 13, you're potentially in for the number one overall pick. I think that Houston can win a similar number of games. They really have to gel as a team, and they're in complete disarray roster-wise and front office-wise. I don't think they've made the smartest hires. But, you know, it's it's the NFL. And when you're playing at home, you've always got a shot, no matter what. And I think, you know, they're playing in a division that isn't the strongest. We've seen that the Colts can drop some games. We've seen that Jacksonville are not the strongest roster. And what happens if Lawrence gets injured? You know, there's there's going to be routes to victory for, for the Texans in several games. So 
you know. Um, Dan's just said the Rams would have been interesting on on Thanksgiving. Um, yeah, it, it would have been, apart from uh, the fact that we're playing at the Rams, and obviously I think Thanksgiving has to be in Ford Field, so I don't think that was an option. But you're right, if that was on the table, that would have been a fantastic come-home game for Stafford. And yeah, very cathartic, as you say. But there we go. Right, that is our show. Um, our next episode is this time next week, Tuesday, 25th of May. I've promised some live film breakdowns on all draftees. And just to reiterate what I mean by that, that is, I'm going to prep, but it's going to be literally putting on the All-22 tape and watching it with you guys and circling things I'm seeing while I'm watching live. Now, I'm going to start, obviously, with Saul. And I have done a fair amount of tape work with him already. So I'm not going in completely blind to this. But it's going to be a learning experience for everyone involved. I hope you can join us for that. And I'll give you more details in the coming days. Uh, Hit us up on our socials if you've listened to this and uh, you've enjoyed it. Please, please do like, subscribe to our various channels. You don't know what a difference it makes to us. And I know that it's kind of just one of those tropes that's said on every video, but it, it really makes a difference. It tells us that we're doing something good or it boosts our profile so that more people can see us because, you know, we, we do it because we enjoy it and we're fans. But at the end of the day, it's nice to know that kind of people are out there helping us out. If you are listening, please, please do that. It's like YouTube, Raw the Lions UK on Facebook. It's the same for the page and the group is Detroit Lions Fans UK One Pride Worldwide. On Twitch, it's RITL underscore UK and it's the same on Twitter. Instagram is rotl.uk. I've almost finished my in-depth look into Penne Saul, and that will be dropping on the blog on rawthelinesuk.com. Subscribe to the podcast, as I said. Rate us five stars. If you send us a question on Apple Podcasts, we'll be sure to get to that too. For now, thank you so much for listening. Thanks to my co-host, Ryan McCluskey. I'm Matthew Turner. We will see you next week on the podcast. Let's go, Lions. One pride. One pride. One pride.